everyone. I'm Ashley. And I'm Justine. And, and we, we make, make up the Cutaways, Cutaways Podcast. We're watching the good, the bad, and the essentials of the romantic comedy genre. So far, we've fallen in love with Cary Grant, met up with our terrible friend, pal Joey, and had the desire to run our fingers through Patrick Dempsey's hair. Join our slumber party for your ears every other week, brought to you in stereo from our blanket fort in Hollywood, California. You can find and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Our digital blanket fort can be found at thecutaways.com. If you are the social butterfly types, you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Cutaways Podcast. Bye! Welcome to Rock Candy. Hi, everyone. Your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats of tales from the burning ring of music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because obviously you're here for part two of Johnny Cash. It's going to be a long one. It's it's real long, guys. I'm sorry. Sorry. Just fucking settle down and deal with it. <laughs> settle down with your two hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And tonight we are chilling in the caboose of the train with a porter from Port City Brewing. Yeah. That's our beer. Because we're drinking it. Hey, Porter. Hey, Porter. Get it? Do you get it? It's Porter from Port City because hey, Porter. Hey, Porter. You did good, Maggie. I did all right. (laughs) Well, when I was in the beverage mart, I was originally just going to go with something that said black. And then I thought, oh, wait, there's a song called Hey, Porter. And Porter's a beer. Yeah. And we already did uh, Black, a, a beer called Black Mm-mm. for Metallica. That's true. So. I, and there will inevitably be more times we need a beer that is black. So. Yeah. No repeatsies. Well, so. at least not so close to each other. <laughs> I don't know. We're not that desperate yet. There's plenty of other beers. True. There's there's plenty of beers. And inevitably next month they'll release a beer called Johnny Cash, the Probably. beer. <laughs> And I will rage. Yeah. Around the fucking... Because after we did our first fucking Beatles episodes, there was like five beers that had... Were literally just straight up named after Beatles songs. Yeah. And, and half of them were on the White Album. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. In the Missy Elliott beer. The literal Missy Elliott beer. Yeah. Well, Misty it's... Elliott. But still... <laughs> It's fucking Missy Elliott. It's fucking Missy it, Elliott. She's drawn on the fucking can. Yeah. Like, come on. Come, come on. the fuck on. <laughs> what are you doing to us, beer? We love you, but stop betraying us. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. We're just trying to work with you. Yeah. And if you keep fucking it up, what do you, what do you expect us to do? Stop drinking beer? It's <laughs> not gonna happen. That's, that's just not gonna happen. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. That's just, that's wrong. Yeah. Not, not a thing that can happen. It's not a thing, Maggie. It's not. It's not a thing. Some might call it a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, we don't, but others might. Like our doctors who I ask. Hey, I don't have health insurance, so I don't have a doctor. I love when my doctor asks me, how often do you drink? And I have to lie and say, oh, maybe like four to six a week. Yeah. 
I my response would probably be the easier question is how often do I not drink? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did a survey the other day for New York State of Health and they asked how out of the past 30 days how many of those did you drink and I was ashamed and only said 13. <laughs> that is a bold face lie. Bold face lie. Bold face. But I felt kind of ashamed, and I was like, well, I don't want this woman to know how much I drink, despite <laughs> the fact that she doesn't know my name, and it's all anonymous. You know what? It's fine. We don't have a problem. But also, a majority of people our age are fairly heavy drinkers. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we're just keeping up with everybody and else. That's, and that's not even, like, an assessment of my own. That's actual studies have said that. Yeah. Millennials have a lot of drinking problems. Yeah, because we've been fucked. <laughs> In the butthole <laughs> and the by only, the world. The only thing that makes us feel better is alcohol. Yes. So, so don't take that from us. Yeah, please. God damn it. Anyway, <laughs> let's, uh, let's roll into it. We got Johnny Cash Part 2 and Woof. It is a lot. I tried my best to give as much information as possible while not giving three hours of information. Because I'm trying not to turn this into a three-parter. So there are things that I'm probably going to gloss over that can always be their own episodes. Yeah. Don't worry. We will get to it. Trust me. I have read and listened to readings of so many books. I've watched at least three documentaries. <laughs> I went to the museum. I fucking know more about Johnny Cash. I probably know about as much about Johnny Cash as I do about Queen. Which is a That's lot. That's a lot. Yikes. Yeah. I'm like, damn, all right, look at me. Wee, look at me. Anyway. When we last left our hero, he was touring the country alongside his band and other acts like the Carter family. It was putting a strain on his marriage and getting him into trouble with drugs and drinking. But the demands of music stardom were calling and Johnny had no choice but to answer. At this point, they had stopped, they had stepped up their game professionally as well. Johnny got himself a level-headed manager in Saul Holliff, and the band got themselves a beat in drummer W.S. Holland. So they have a drummer now. Ooh. Yes. Drummers are hard to find. Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> he was continuing to put out popular records and perform to large crowds of fans. It was manager Saul Holliff, in fact, that got Johnny the big-time gigs in places like New York, California, and even London. It was Saul who got June Carter to do a few shows with Cash and the once again Tennessee Three. He figured he might as well take advantage of their magnetic onstage chemistry. When June and Saul reached an agreement that kept her on the tour indefinitely, Johnny told the guys on tour, quote, Don't mess around with June Carter. I'm covering her. I'm watching over her like a big old rooster and don't you forget it. And no one dared try to do anything after that. He just called himself a cock. Ha <laughs> ha! He's a cock blocker. Oh, maybe like old timey cock blocker. <laughs> old timey <laughs> cock blocker. Yeah, Johnny was still married to Vivian, and June herself was married to Edwin Rip Nix. Because of this, R- Rip, Rip, Rip Nix. His, his, his nickname was Rip. Rip Nix. Rip Nix. No, well, Nix was his last name, but his nickname was Rip. Yeah, Rip Nix. <laughs> he was a cop. <laughs> Officer Ripnicks. <laughs> no relation to Stevie. Oh, it wasn't even N I C K S. It was N I X. Yeah. 
Just when you think you got it, I'm throwing you a curveball. Oh, man. Because of this, and not wanting to conjure up any rumors or suspicions, they initially agreed to keep their relationship nothing more than friendly. But nothing could stop the inevitable between them, being on the road together all the time, and sharing so many common interests, and honestly, forbidden fruit element had to play a factor. It was June who wrote Ring of Fire alongside Merle Kilgore about her relationship with Johnny. She originally gave it to her sister Anita, who recorded it as Love's Ring of Fire. Johnny claimed he dreamed of the song once, but instead it had mariachi horns in it, so when he needed another song for his album, he took that song and recorded it exactly the way he heard it in his dream. <laughs> that's so funny. That's why there's mariachi horns in it. All right. When things started to escalate with Johnny and June, many very much appro- disapproved of their affair, as yeah, you would uh, think. Yeah, I mean... Might surprise you to hear. Two married people basically having an affair in public... Mm. Probably does not doesn't really go over so well in what the nineteen sixties. Ooh, yeah, no, yeah, no. Not big fans. Years later, many would refer to June as the original Yoko Ono. And no, dis- yeah, like, I know, no. But it's, it, I just, it's, uh, they disliked her for what she was doing. Marshall Grant, especially, as he considered Vivian to be his friend as well as Johnny, and he hated Understood. what Johnny was doing to her. Understood, but also it. This is. 50-50 here. Oh. Johnny's doing a lot of oh. shit, too. Yeah. It's not just June. Yeah. No, I get it. It's just this is how people were initially reacting. Because yeah. you know what? Honestly, yes, you're right. 50-50. But in addition to that, frankly, June truly did love Johnny. And she really did think they were soulmates. This mm-hmm. wasn't just some homewrecker, gold-digging kind of scheme. She yeah. really did love him. And one of the best qualities about her was that she wanted him off the drugs just as much as anybody else. She was known to flush his pills, threaten to leave him if he didn't stop. And this actually won over Grant as they would eventually become comrades in arms to try to stop Johnny's habit. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean. She she wins her, she, June, as we all know, eventually wins her place in everybody's heart. Yeah. Because she's, it's just a shitty situation and they make it work. Oh, but Johnny's pill habit got him into a lot of trouble that we, <laughs> nobody could really predict. Or stop. Yay. I'm just going to give you a taste of the many things that Johnny did while high that set back his life more and more. Mm-hmm. Something you may or may not know about these pills is how much they fuck you up physically. Johnny started to lose his voice regularly from exhaustion and overdrinking. And it also made him lose a butt ton of weight. Here he is. He's like 6'2 and like a buck 50 at best. Wow. Yeah, he was very skinny. And his voice was just garbage at this point. It also aged him greatly. If you look at pictures of him from 1956 and then 1966, you see someone that aged 25 years instead of 10. Yeah. When we were at the museum, they have pictures of him... From in timelines. In timelines from each decade. And it's like 1950s is this fresh, taut-faced youngster. And then 1960s is a world-weary old crone. <laughs> and the 70s are like, all right. And then 80s is like, oh boy. Hey, what did you do? Yeah. I You're... know the 80s were tough, but <laughs> Jesus. Pump the brakes, bro. <laughs> Lots of the shows were a bust because the audience could barely hear him. Or he would actually just downright cancel him sometimes, which 
losing money because you got to give people back money. Right. In May 1962, Johnny had his very first appearance at Carnegie Hall. Big deal show here. And he showed up off his face on amphetamines. From the very beginning of the show, he had absolutely no voice. He tried to use the excuse of laryngitis, but it wasn't going to win him any sympathy points. And it was supposed to be recorded, but no one even bothered turning on the cameras. (laughs) So the show was just panned across the board. One night at the Grand Old Opry, they basically told Johnny... You don't really need to come back. It's We're fine. We're cool. So it's, it's a polite way of firing him. Yeah. And he got pissed off. So he got crazy intoxicated, took June's car out for a drive, crashed it, got into such a bad accident that he broke his nose and they had to reset it. Oh, ouch. Like on the spot. And they were going to give him morphine. And he said, no, don't give me morphine. So they didn't. He just fucked. They just reset it. Of all the time. Yeah. Not I to take drugs. There's no... You choose the time you break your face. I can't really see why. That makes no sense. Yeah, because he wasn't looking to get off the pills, so I don't I don't really know what his Dude, MO was with that. fucking free morphine. <laughs> free you don't morphine. E- you don't even have to really pay for it. Break your nose, free <laughs> morphine. <laughs> I didn't get morphine when I broke my nose. I, I did not either. I didn't get shit. I... Pretty much have never been offered drugs. I mean, not like... (laughs) Never been offered an opioid. Me either. I've gotten my wisdom teeth out. I've broken my nose. I've sprayed my ankle a lot. Like, nobody's ever been like, here's some Vicodin. (laughs) If anything, they're like, here's some Tylenol. They're like, like, here's an ice pack. Bitch, that doesn't even get rid of my headaches. Ooh, thanks for trying, though. Thanks for trying, but... Thanks for playing the home edition. No. Not working. Let me just tell you, too, that wasn't the only car that Johnny totaled. He got into a bunch of accidents while driving. That was just kind of his thing. Who keeps giving him the car keys? What would happen is he would come home from touring, and the girls would vie for his attention, and Vivian would admonish him for not being home more, and they would just stress him out. So what he would do is just grab the car and leave. And Vivian just really couldn't do anything about it. But how did he get June's car keys? Did she oh. just, like, give them to him? I guess. He what, easily June? could have just... Gr- I don't know. June, what are you doing? I, she, she didn't know. She didn't know any better. <laughs> and at this point, Vivian's concern was super warranted. The rumors of him and June were staring her in the face almost as fiercely as his worsening drug addiction. Right. But, like I said, Johnny just couldn't handle hearing her confront him on these things so he would leave the house he would go on these escapes because that's just what he did and one of these escapes he took his nephew damon on a fishing trip in his camper everyone in the family was trying to talk him to him about quitting the drugs and being faithful to his wife and damon took this trip as a chance to do just that but they ended up arguing so he walks away leaving johnny with the camper He later comes back to his uncle trying to put out a massive fire that started in the camper. Damon realizes that this fire is already out of control, and when he's trying to leave and take Johnny with him, Johnny absolutely refused to go with him and stubbornly goes, walks over into the creek where they were fishing and just sits in it. (laughs) Next to the spreading flames, just sits and pouts in the creek. I guess it's logical if you're going to sit there, sit in the water. But at the same time, if you have an escape path... Go for it. Why wouldn't you take it? That's fine. Also, how did you light it on fire? Well, Damon got help, and a helicopter rescued Johnny out of the water. 
and he was relieved to have been able to get back in time to save his uncle. So imagine his hurt when a few days later, he's finding out that Johnny's telling other people that his nephew left him to die in the fire. What? Yeah. Yeah. What is wrong with him? Amphetamine's a hell of a drug. (laughs) Apparently. You know. And also, Johnny denies any responsibility in starting the fire, so he blames it on a defective exhaust system in his camper, but Damon claims to have seen a book of used matches at the site next to the camper when he came back, mm-hmm. so he thinks Johnny started the fire to stay warm in his in camper. In the camper. Yeah. I mean, just light the curtains on fire. That keep, that'll keep you warm. I will keep, I'm sure he was very warm. The fire destroyed 508 acres and displaced 49... Oh, it wasn't just the camper that oh. caught fire. Oh, no. Because it's oh, Calif- he, oh, he was- caught the forest on I'm fire. I'm sorry. This was in California. I should have... I should have... Johnny just- is one of those fucking assholes that started a wildfire in California. What Billy Joel was not singing about him in that song. Like, let me just say that much. Because Johnny certainly did start that fire. <laughs> Yeah, he just... The answer, the answer to Billy Joel's question is Johnny Cash. Yeah, it's Johnny Cash. The one who started the fire. It was Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. In addition to the total destruction of the woods themselves, he displaced 49 of the refugees' 53 endangered condors. And while in court over the matter, Johnny was completely unapologetic. He showed absolutely no remorse for um, any of the damage. Correct me if I'm wrong, anybody... But I'm pretty sure that there are, like, literally two to three of those condors left in the entire world. There probably would have been more if Johnny didn't set them on and fire. And Cash lit them on fire. Yeah. So, thanks, Johnny. Yeah. It's not one of his finer moments. No. Say what you want about Ring of Fire. He's, I mean, he, threw, he threw condors in there. I mean, I could be exaggerating. Maybe there's, like, six. <laughs> Okay, that makes it better. But still, I'm pretty sure Johnny Cash killed three quarters of the remaining population. Yeah. <laughs> Which wasn't much. That's not, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it was... And when you know who Johnny Cash is as a person, that was a clear sign of the drugs because he's not the type of person... He loves animals. He ends yeah, up having I basically w- his own on-home farm or in zoo. Yeah. He, so he's he has nothing against animals. I, he's... He's so fucked at this point. It's just the fucking drugs. Yeah, the drugs are absolutely terrible. I never took amphetamines that seriously until this story. And I'm like, oh my god, what the fuck? Actually, at one point during the court case, basically he said something along the lines, they asked him, you know, what do you have to say about this? Or why did you start this fire? And he said, it wasn't me, it was my camper, and my camper's dead, so you can't ask him. What? <laughs> yep. Yeah. He's such a smart-ass piece of shit. He is. He was a smart-ass piece of shit. In the end, Johnny ends up being the first person to ever be sued for starting a forest fire and ended up settling for $82,000. That's it? Yeah. Well, in well, 1960s guess, yeah. money, which so that's more like... Millions. 500000 I don't know what money is. I don't know. I you can tell us in the comments. <laughs> that's fine. But no one could turn a blind eye that fall when he took a taxi to a bar just south of the border to get a large amount of pills. Upon his return to El Paso, Texas, he was stopped by a narcotics squad who thought he was transporting heroin. Instead, 
They caught him with 668 amphetamines and 475 tranquilizers. Oh my god. Yeah. It's funny that you mention this because uh, my boyfriend Mike and I were just talking about this the other day because he went to school, went to college very close to El Paso, Texas. And El Paso is right on the border Mm -hmm. of Mexico. And just over the border, it's almost essentially the same city as El Paso, but it's in Mexico, so it's different. But just across the border is a city called Juarez. Yes. And... El Paso is like, it's not the greatest city ever. It's it's bordered Texas. So it's not that great. But it's like, if you are in El Paso looking over the border to Juarez, it's like an apocalyptic video game. Oh, shit, really? Over into, like... There's no lights or anything <laughs> at nighttime. Terrifying. All you can see are like burning fires <laughs> in buildings. It's oh just burning God, fires. What the fuck? And it's like it's like hollowed out buildings and like torn apart cars. I'm just picturing like Mad Max yeah. apocalypse kind of thing. I'm sure oh it's not God. that bad, but what is it? It could be. It could I mean, be. I've never seen it, but Mike has been there plenty of times, and it's. It's very easy if you're an American to accidentally end up in Juarez. Oh my God. And Mike and Whoops. Mike accidentally ended up in Juarez one time. Gotta get the fuck out of here. Took him three hours to get home. Because in order to get back into the United States, you can easily just walk across the border into Mexico. Huh. But to get back to the United States, you have to go over a bridge. And it takes you three hours because getting back into the the United States from Mexico is the most ridiculously complicated and insane process, especially if you accidentally ended up in Mexico and you don't have a passport. So good news for Mike. He's white. Yeah. And clearly American. Yeah. Yeah. That worked out nicely for him. Well, three hours of harassment but by border police who are pretty awful but but still they don't have they haven't been having the best reputation but still to fucking go into juarez and get that much drugs and try to come back into the united states johnny cash got balls no seriously that's how much he really wanted his fucking he has giant gross balls yeah (laughs) to try and do that giant amphetamine napped balls I imagine amphetamine balls can't be great, right? It's just, I'm just picturing somebody just like shooting drugs straight into their balls. And that's <sighs> probably a really <sighs> bad idea. That's, don't, don't do that. PSA, don't shoot drugs in your balls. Yeah, don't do that. You're welcome. The more <laughs> you know. There you go. Thanks, kids. Yep. Actually, at this point, I think Johnny Cash said he was up to about 100 pills a day. Fuck. Right? Right? Jesus. I don't know how true that is, but like, woof. So he gets caught with all these pills and he ends up serving a suspended sentence and paying a fine. While Vivian flew down there to be by his side for the trial, this was the beginning of the end for her. She just couldn't. And after years of putting up with Johnny and his antics, she filed for divorce in 1966. And after this, she had primary custody of their four daughters and mostly raised them. So is this the part in the movie where he actually gets caught with drugs and gets arrested for the first time? But then he, like, 
in the movie, Joaquin Phoenix is just acting real cool. Like, yeah, I I had drugs. Maybe. Uh-huh. I haven't watched the movie in a while. I saw a couple, I watched a couple clips the other day because I wanted to be enraged, apparently. Yeah. But I don't remember. Well, the, there was. Because they, they tell the story so inaccurately. Oh, yeah. 100%. They take, like, kernels of truth and just gloss them over with sugar cookies. Well, and they also make it seem like his drug use was kind of glamorous in a way. Because yeah. I I remember that one scene. It was the first time he really got caught and arrested for possession of drugs. And he was wearing his black suit and his shades. And, you know. Yeah, and that's how he was dressed, definitely. And he was he was aggressive. He would threaten to kick photographers, and he basically didn't want to be there. I don't know if I would say he was playing it cool so much as he just couldn't be bothered to be there. Yeah, and he definitely was not present in the yeah. moment. Well, in the movie, he was like, "Oh yeah, he was totally cool about it. Yeah. Drugs are cool. cool Drugs man. cool, Drugs man. Cool. I'm so cool. Yeah, that's like, what I no. do. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no. So this this is the end of her." This is the end of their relationship. I do not blame her. No. How she held in for that long. Because honestly, she was Catholic. She didn't want to divorce him because she's Catholic. And then Johnny didn't want to divorce her because Pisces. As a Pisces. Cannot admit defeat. No. And Johnny Cash in general is very Mm non-confrontational. He does not want to have to be the one to put his foot down. He does not want to have to be the one to start no shit. Sorry, no shit won't be no shit. But there still can be shit. There's gonna be shit. There's gonna be shit, despite you starting that or not. He was biding his time for Vivian to have enough, I think. Just waiting for for the other person to take the bull by the horns. We kind of do that. Yeah. We're like, maybe they'll do something about it, so then I don't have to. Yeah. Just make their (laughs) lives miserable enough, and they'll break up with me. Yep. (laughs) Biding my time on it. But that's what happened. Despite this large pile of garbage incidents, Johnny doesn't stop. He manages to continue to get arrested a few more times, cancel shows here and there, and on several occasions give those around him actual death scares. Like, he's gonna kill them? No. Or he's gonna die? Like, they thought he was dead on several occasions. Okay. They thought they were committed. had to do, like, cold showers... Because he was that passed out, they'd had to do CPR on him. Yeah. Because he would be just not breathing. Slap him a few times. Punching him. Yeah. It, they There were some s- serious death scares on his part. It was in the fall of 1967 that Johnny decided enough was enough. He was tired of being high, of disappointing the people in his life, of the crazy rock star life he was living. This was his come to Jesus moment. Literally. Literally. He headed from his apartment in Tennessee to Nickajack Cave with no food, no flashlight, and not telling anyone where he was going. He intended to climb so deep into the twists and turns of the cave that he would get lost and die there. At one point, he finally passed out from exhaustion, but was woken up when he felt God's presence urging him out of the cave. Somehow, he managed to find his way out, only to see his mother in June waiting for him. He was a fucking bear. Wait, so the she... bear was like, girl, this is my cave. And he's like, Jesus? <laughs> and the bear's like, some people call me that, but, you know, get the fuck out of my cave. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
But right here, I'm going to tell you, there is reason to believe that this actually never happened. Many have claimed that Nickajack Cave was flooded that fall, so nobody could have been in there. Mm -hmm. It's possible that this is just another one of the Man in Black's tall tales to make a story more interesting. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So nobody really knows how truthful that story is. Yeah. Irregardless, this was when Johnny decided that he wanted to get sober. He made a valiant effort the following month to detox with the help of June and a doctor. And it worked and he felt clearer than he had in years. But spoiler alert, this would only be a temporary recovery. Yeah. Now that they were both divorced, June told Johnny she would marry him if he could get off the pills. And even despite this, he just couldn't stay off them completely. On February 22nd, 1968, at a gig in Ontario, Johnny took a moment during a song to propose to June. She said yes, and even though she knew he didn't break his pill habit, they were married weeks later. Hmm. So they actually do have that in the film, and that's pretty accurate. That's one of the few things that is accurate. But didn't she say no in the... Not during their performance. Like, the final scene is when he proposes to her during the show. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yep. Unfortunately for the cash crew, 1968 wasn't all joy. That August, they they would lose a bandmate and a close friend in Luther Perkins to a terrible accident when he fell asleep in his living room with a lit cigarette in his mouth. Devastated by the loss, he and June buried Luther in their plot in the Henderson Memorial Park. So their guitarist Luther, who had been with him since mm-hmm. day one, died in a freak accident. That's kind of sad. It's really sad. They were, like, so fucking floored by it. Yeah, 68 was a bit of an up and down year for them. I mean, this was the time of chain smoking and flammable couches, so. <laughs> couches are really flammable. They really are, especially Ooh. in the fucking 60s. Oh, man. And everything is made out of, like, shellac Sh- and fucking flammable polyester. I'm gonna shellac the buttons on this couch. Alright, that's gonna be really uncomfortable, let's, let's, but sure. Let's buy this polyester upholstered couch and shellac it and then <laughs> smoke a whole lot. Yeah. That's a good idea, guys. Sixties are great. You know what else we should do? Let's put carpets in our bathrooms. <laughs> Who does that? The 60s, Stop 70s, it. and 80s. I have seen so many houses with carpeting in the so bathroom. Triggered. So triggered. Especially when people have alcohol and pill problems. You're peeing everywhere. <laughs> You are not hitting that toilet 100% of the time. All over that carpet. Yeah. All over it. All over it. God damn it. And you can't just pick it up and wash it. Disgusting. (laughs) Wrong with you. But let's take a little break from the drama bombs that I've been mostly talking about for the past half hour and talk about some real positive change put forth on the part of Mr. Cash. Last episode, we talked a bit about his performances at the prisons because of his strong belief in prison reform. He tried to use his celebrity to bring these issues to Washington. He lobbied for prison reform and went to the Senate hearings to tell stories of inmates he met and horror stories that they would relate to him. When they asked him what he thinks happens to young men put into jail on minimal charges, Johnny said that they go into the system, they become members of the prison subculture, and come out good, hardened criminals. He strongly believed that we were due for a change, and that's why he would just keep batting for him. Isn't it so disgusting that, like, 60 
or no, uh, 50 years ago. 50. 50 years ago. 56 years ago. 55. Um, it's a nice round. He was saying the same exact shit that we're saying now. And the only thing that's changed is that the prison system has gotten worse. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fucking great effort. But fuck. <laughs> if, you, if they're not going to listen to Johnny Cash, they're not going to listen to anyone. Yeah, no. I can only imagine how he felt about the prison system by the time he passed away. I think he pro- I, if I were him, I would just stop looking. Yeah. And just be like, fucking kill me. <laughs> just kill me. Ugh. That's, all of this is for naught. Ugh. <laughs> it only gets better. Mm. Even aside from that cause, he made time to be an activist for Native Americans. Oh, That's gone well. (laughs) That's gone real well. He made an album called Bitter Tears, Ballads of the American Indian, to bring to our attention the heinous treatment of our indigenous peoples and how our government still does nothing to help them. In 1960-something. In fact, makes their lives a million times fucking worse and takes away basic necessities. Yep. Like clean water. Yep. You know. They don't need clean water. And also doesn't help them at all with the overwhelming drug epidemic. Also takes away land that we promised them. Yeah. And basically puts bottles of alcohol into their hands. Here's some whiskey, you little baby Indian. That's what you want, right? That's what you want, right? That's what you want. Have a little whiskey makes you feel better. (laughs) Cause we're gonna fuck your life up. (laughs) And that's what our government's doing. Yep, pretty much. One of the songs on the album, The Battle of Ira Hayes, was released as a single. And for those of you who may or may not be in the know, so Ira Hayes was an indigenous person. He was a Marine and he was one of the six soldiers that raises the flag in Iwo Jima, that Mm -hmm. huge statue that we have Mm -hmm. in D.C. He's one of the men raising up the flag. And there's this whole story about him, about how he goes and he fights I think he, I don't even think he had a fucking choice. I think he had to go serve in the military. Drafted? Yeah. I think of some sorts. I don't remember exactly the story, but I've read a lot of stories lately, guys. He goes, he serves, he comes back, and now he's lost between worlds because the people on his reservation look at him as a stranger because, oh, you helped the white man, but then, you know, the white man doesn't like him either. Because he's he's, a Native American who technically... I feel like a lot of um, hardcore American white men didn't really believe that Native Americans, first of all, existed. <laughs> Second of all... Oh, like leprechauns? Like, what the fuck? Well, nobody pays attention to them because they are on reservations or doesn't pay attention to the ones that are on reservations because they don't see them outside of the reservations and douchebag white boys don't go to the res- reservations you but, like, I mean? what do you think? What you see on TV, do you think it's just a, no, a fairy no, 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 tale no, no, no. or a movie or, like, it's, it's the tooth fairy? <laughs> Never mind. I know what you mean. No, I know what you mean. I, I just, I'm like, anyway, he ends up drinking himself to death because most Native Americans have drunk themselves to death. Spoiler there's... alert. <laughs> well, there's a really, really it's kind of an epidemic amongst it Native really Americans is, is alcoholism. It, it's, and it's like, a, apparently it's something that is actually genetic that they are predisposed to alcoholism. Yeah. And once they have a drink, it's like there's something triggered in there that 
they can't stop. Exactly. And so, we are doing nothing to help that. Oh, absolutely Because nothing. we don't think we owe them anything. Right. And the, we, oh, well, we gave them this land and we don't got to do shit with it. So f- they make money off casinos. Fuck off to the reservation, bro. Ugh, you know? It's, it's really sad. So he releases this single, but a lot of the radio stations just won't play it. And he is so incensed by this that Johnny pulled a full page open letter in the Billboard magazine accusing DJs and station owners of being cowards afraid to be honest about our history. And we saw that in the museum. Mm -hmm. He has this whole page ad that he bought and paid for and said, y'all suck. (laughs) Are you shitting me? You won't talk about this? Yeah. (laughs) Come for me. I mean, that's how I would have written it. And I like, from what I remember... The page in the magazine, it didn't look like a normal page. The page no. was black with white typewritten words on it. Yeah. So it's not like you can just breeze through that magazine and not really even notice it. You fucking notice it because it's, it. the Billboard magazine is a big magazine. It's very, yeah. It's much larger than a normal yeah. magazine. So if you're flipping through it and you just see a black page, you're going to stop and read it. Yeah, especially because a lot of the other pages are multiple ads, very colorful. Right, and just and this is fucking like, charts and articles and that's it. Charticles. Charticles! <laughs> it sounds like a clown's name. Charticles! <laughs> sounds like a clown's, a clown's testicles. Charticles! <laughs> and the beer just hit me like a clown's testicle in the face yup we are halfway through these notes god damn it and we're already talking about clown testicles that's fine what does it have to do with any we're talking about indigenous people I don't know he performed a few benefits at the Rosebud Reservation in order to raise not only awareness, but funds for the residents as well. So he really did try to be as involved with the indigenous peoples as he could be. And honestly, that's more than you can say about most musicians Anyone? or Ever? anybody. <laughs> like people More than will... our government, easily. Right. And people were really, you know, upset over the oil pipeline. The Dakota Access Pipeline. The Dakota Access Pipeline, but... As soon as the Obama left, on. everyone yeah. was like, all right, we don't have to care about this anymore, Ugh. do we? No, I and was I was actually following that harder than I was following the election. Because first of all, the election was a hot mess and I was done. Hot garbage. Dumpster fire. Dumpster fire. I just, I just thought that doesn't even do it justice. But the point being, everyone was so not paying attention to that. And it, it was when I was still trying to be really active on Facebook and like, Meh. Why isn't anyone else upset? No one else would get upset and it upset me more. Yeah. And then I realized maybe I should stop using Facebook. Yeah. It's the worst. After his marriage to June, Johnny did make an honest attempt at sobriety several times, but nothing would stick. It was impossible for him to handle the stresses of touring, making music, and trying out an acting career for the second time. During this time, Johnny recorded a song, the song A Boy Named Sue, which was actually written by the humorous poet Shel Silverstein. Oh. Which, when you hear that, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, when we were at, I think, the Country Music Hall of Hall Fame, Fame, there were a lot of pictures of Shel Silverstein yeah. with, like, Willie Nelson. Yeah, he was really good friends with them. So weird. And he just, he's yeah. he is a total, 
he looks like a baldy beard metalhead. Oh yeah, he's if a total you, baldy beard. If you grew up with all of his books like we did, and then you'd have to look at his picture like, on the back Whoa. cover, <laughs> that was such a fucking nightmare. He's fodder. so scary. Shel Silverstein was a terrifying man for children, but I loved his books. <laughs> It's like, this guy writes children's books? Yo, when you what read does them, he do at night? When you read them, scary. though, it's like, ooh, these aren't children's stories. They're kind of dark. They're super dark. And, like, the missing piece, it makes you cry. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good, but it makes you cry. Yeah. it's. I feel like, looking at him, I feel like he probably should have written the scary stories to tell in the dark books. <laughs> right? Not whoever actually wrote them. Yeah, I don't know what the guy who wrote those books looks like. I don't know, but they're making that into a movie. Mm. Guillermo del Toro is oh, directing it. Oh, hold up. Hold up. Yeah. I'm back. Yep. I'm back, bitch. Yeah. That's how everybody reacts to that. When like, oh, but then like, what? But I like saying it that way. I'm like, oh, they're making that into a movie. Everyone's hmm. like, hmm. And I'm like, Guillermo del Toro. And they're oh. like, ooh. <laughs> I'm in it. I'm, I'm, I'm here in for it. it. I'm here for it. Also, around that time came the classic Man in Black, where he proclaims his wardrobe for those who are in need and oppressed. And these would actually become some of the last hits that Johnny would have for quite some time. Mm. But for the first time, music wasn't the pride and joy of Johnny's life. That came in the form of his and June's only child, John Carter Cash, born March 3rd, 1970. And his only son, right? His only son. Hmm. It was with this life-changing event that Johnny finally took his addiction seriously and got himself totally clean. And it would be years before he touched pills again. So legit for the good chunk of the 70s, he was clean. During the late 60s, variety shows were the hot thing on TV. And every channel had to have their own to boast. And ABC wanted to be a part of that. So in 1969, they approached Johnny to host one of his own after the success of his prison concerts. I know, that's kind of a weird jump. But it works because then they create the Johnny Cash show. I did not know this existed. They showed clips in the museum. I must have been somewhere else. Maybe. Because I don't remember that. Yeah, it was a very successful show. They were recorded at the Grand Ole Opry, and he had an impressive list of guests throughout its run, from Bob Dylan to Joni Mitchell to Ray Charles and beyond that. Huh. Yeah. He actually did really well. It was a lot of music, a little bit of talk and a little bit of variety, but he really tried to showcase music in it. Yeah. Which was I would, great. I would imagine if Johnny Cash had a quote-unquote talk show, it would be more about music than it would be about talk. Yeah, pretty much. You know, that's that's all it was. Which, and it was great. People mm-hmm. loved it. Johnny was known, however, to butt heads with the executives at the network quite often. He wanted more country guests, they wanted more mainstream, or they'd try to censor the songs he'd sing. For example, against their wishes, he sang the line, I wish I was stoned when he was covering a Chris Christopherson song. Because Chris Christopherson was actually in the audience. <laughs> and he was like... Now I'm singing your line. And he would looked at him as he sang it. And Chris is like, yeah. That's so Nirvana. It was pretty. It was, it was pretty it Nirvana was pretty... at the VMAs when they sang Rate Me instead of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. He was OG on that one. <laughs> also, they did try to get him to tone down his religious preaching. Because he started to do that a lot in the 70s, too. The show lasted from 1969 to 1971. 
And between ratings going downhill and the novelty of variety shows wearing off, the show ends up being canceled, much to Johnny's disappointment. Huh. Yeah. Another thing, like I just mentioned, that Johnny liked to do with his platform was spread the word of God. Mm. This was in part due to his close friendship with Evan... Oh, fuck. I'm really bad at this word. With evangelist preacher Billy Graham. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yikes. Graham initially approached Cash as he was finding sobriety, and he wanted Cash to help him get kids back into religion. (sighs) He and June had made several trips to the Holy Land, Israel, Jerusalem, the whole nine Uh yards, several times. Uh And they felt this was his calling. So he began to attend Graham's Crusade TV events to sing gospel songs and talk about his story and how he found salvation in Jesus. In turn, he would have Billy on his show once in a blue moon to help him proselytize there as well. Like I said, the network was not super in love with it. Wait, what network was it? ABC. Oh, okay. And at the time, ABC wasn't doing great. It wasn't what we know it as it, now. Is ABC ever doing great? No, I think they're they're owned by Disney, so they're always going to have money. They're always going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Was that shade at ABC? Maybe. Damn. The sunglasses are coming down <laughs> and resting on my face. Deal with it. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> After the cancellation of his show... Johnny worked on his own film about the life of Jesus of Nazarene called The Gospel Road. No studio was willing to buy this movie, though, so he had to no, use his own... No, they weren't. <laughs> I mean, maybe? can't imagine. So Johnny ends up using his own funds to make it, which cost him somewhere around, I think, $500,000. That's not very much. That so it must have been back then. It must have been back low then. budget. It was <laughs> because it was family friends yeah. starring in it. He grabbed a couple actors, but it was they. I believe they did go to Jerusalem to film, and that was probably one of the more expensive yeah. parts of it. So when it was released, it didn't even break even, but it wasn't really poorly reviewed either. I think just it was there, and yeah. no one's ever really thought much about it. Maybe people kind of look at it like. I don't want to say a vanity project, but it's what he just wanted to do it. So people are like, oh, that's cool. You did it. I mean, if he has the money for it, go then for it. Well, whatever. does he have the money for it? <laughs> it's hard to say if this preacher move hurt or helped Johnny in the long run. For many, they appreciated the wholesome message he was spreading and loved seeing him at all the crusade events. Others, though, thought Johnny was shoving his belief in their faces. They didn't go to him for a sermon, but for songs to relate to. And for them, gospel songs just didn't resonate. So Johnny and June ended up getting upset at his manager, Saul, once because he wasn't going to the Crusades with them. (laughs) They said he wasn't being supportive. To which Saul responded, why would I go to an event that I didn't set up? Because I'm your manager, I'm your booker, I book things. But if I didn't book that event, why am I going to be there? I ain't your friend. I mean, they're friends. But, but like, I ain't your friend. I ain't your god friend. Side note, in case the name didn't give it away, Saul is Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. This accusation was kind of the cherry on top of over a decade of dealing with a temperamental, unreliable rock star. The bitch Sunday. 
the bitch Sunday. <laughs> it kind of was. Saul put up with a lot with Johnny. Like, God, I mean, Johnny through his really bad days. Yeah. He just wouldn't listen to Saul. He's like, I booked you this amazing event and he just wouldn't show up sometimes. Right. Or cancel or be like. <laughs> or just suck at it. I'm sick. I'm sick. Yeah. He really axled that shit, didn't he? he a little bit. He he went a little axle. But you can't see it, but I'm rolling my <laughs> eyes. <laughs> and even though Johnny's sober now, he's more liable. Johnny also just, he kind of does want to do his own thing. And he's, again, a little stubborn. Little. And, and he's non-confrontational, so it's just hard to tell him. Come on, man. Stubborn and non-confrontational. Yeah. <sighs> Forget it. Yeah. So, with this, Saul decided to quit. He gave a five months notice, and he was done. Hey, he gave it. He gave it a try. He, he did. Gave it, he gave it the college try. And he hung in there for a long time. He did. And rumors spread, so, though. Good for you, Saul. Rumors spread that he didn't quit, but was fired. And some even ended up accusing Johnny Cash of being an anti-Semite. Which, that's a bit much. A little bit much. Because, honestly, I think Saul's story is the truth. Because here's the thing with Saul. He wrote everything down. He recorded everything. Mm -hmm. So if he had been fired, it would have been documented. Yeah. There is a documentary called My Father and the Man in Black by Saul's son. Mm -hmm. Very good documentary. I highly suggest it. It's only, like, an hour. A little over an hour, maybe. It's... It's... Really enlightens certain aspects of being part of Johnny Cash's entourage in that time. Was it just based on Saul's notes? Yeah. Because he had, again, he had recordings. He had notes. Mm -hmm. He was, Saul himself was an interesting character. You could honestly do a whole episode on Saul. Yeah. Because he was very, very fascinating. Now that the Johnny Cash show was done, and he put a bunch of money into a movie that didn't earn any back, they were in the red. Obviously. Add in the fact that June was a shopaholic and compulsively spent money. Oh, good. Also, the couple was known to help out anyone they could, so if a friend or a family member needed a job, they would create one for them. So when I say red, I mean crimson. (laughs) That just meant more touring. More and more touring. They did any and all gigs they could land. At this point, Johnny was burning out hardcore. He wanted to do everything and not slow down. His music began to suffer as a product. He was putting out a lot of music, but it was pretty subpar. His songs were losing that personal touch that they once had. And it eventually got to the point where fans weren't even really excited when he put out a new record. One of the biggest problems in Johnny's life was that no one in his camp really knew how to say no to Johnny. Again, I said it. He was non-confrontational, but he was still stubborn. Mm Mm-hmm. And they just told him whatever he wanted to hear, even if the idea was subpar, because they didn't want to hurt Johnny's feelings. And they didn't want to, like, deal with his bullshit. (laughs) Because they're hurting his feelings. Kinda. Yeah. He would get a little vindictive which I'll get into that in a bit. What also didn't help was the outlaw country movement that was taking the radio by storm. Oh. Singers like Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, and Waylon Jennings were what the people wanted to hear. And can I say this? When we were in the Country Music Hall of Fame, young pictures of Chris Christopherson, I was like, you could get it. 
He was pretty cute. Right? Like, that um, That wasn't just me, right? He had really nice hair. Oh, my God. Like, I just wanted to put my hands in his hair and his beard. Like, just comb through it. I bet it was so soft and luxurious. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure that wasn't and just me. And he was me. always wearing aviators, which made him look really cool. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of him without sunglasses on. He looked good, though. He, he worked. He a- knew... He knew how to make himself look good. Yeah. He so. wasn't fucking around. <laughs> he knew what's up. Good for you, Chris Christopherson. Good for you. We'll get to you. Don't you worry. Of course, all of this would lead to the obvious conclusion. Johnny falls back into pills. Uh, you don't say. And after a while, this bout would eventually become worse than any of the other times. Again, it was affecting him physically and mentally. His shows were suffering and his personal life was suffering His fidelity to June was one of the biggest things to suffer. He had a few affairs during this time. Oh, really? Yeah, he cheated on June. Huh. Johnny Cash, throughout his entire life, until he basically was impotent, was not known to be a Fidelis man. Is Fidelis the right word? Fidelity. Fidelitis? Not Fidelis. I'm making up words, and I'm fine with that. The point is, he cheated on all of his women. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just kind of what Johnny did. It was this compulsive thing, I guess, rock star lifestyle. So he had cheated on June as well. And this freaked out June just the same way it freaked out Vivian. Honestly, he cheated on Vivian with June. Yeah. So wouldn't June kind of have a thing in the back of her head? I think June believed that that was it. That he just found June and that would be it. Yeah, no, especially when you are a musician that is constantly touring. Yeah. Eh. But she was always with him. The problem was the time she wasn't with him. Yeah. And she thought she could trust him. Girl. 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 Well, none of the affairs would be as shocking as the supposed affair he had with June's sister, Anita. What? He was in love with Anita, according to some of the songs and things and letters that have been written. 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 (laughs) Written. Written. Fuck. (laughs) Written. While no one has come right out to say that it happened for sure, there is enough writing on the wall for everybody to be like, yeah, it happened. On Anita's deathbed, she begged June for her forgiveness. Oh, well, there you go. No, like, she was like, I did pretty much an unforgivable thing with, yeah. So there's pretty much, there's enough reason to believe it did happen at least a couple of times. Yeah. 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 Johnny. Johnny. Come on. Come on. The fallouts during this time would be severe. Johnny's temper was nothing to be messed with. While everybody was opposed to his pill-popping, none were more vocal than Marshall Grant. One time, he just really put his foot down, and he told Johnny you gotta knock it off. Johnny decided he didn't need that kind of negativity in his life. So during a break from their touring, he sent Marshall a telegram relieving him from his bass duties. Marshall was the other half of, like, Luther, basically. Yeah. So it's like... Johnny, Luther, and Marshall started out together. Johnny was pissed at Marshall for telling him to stop doing drugs and fired him. That's like the equivalent of getting broken up with via text. Yeah. Because again, Johnny was non-confrontational. So he would either A, have someone do his work for him, or B, he would send you a letter or a telegram. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 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 
Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Guess what? Guess what, though? The biggest slap in the face was that Johnny told everyone that he fired Marshall for stealing money. What? Yeah. He why, lied. To- why? Nobody believed him, by of the way. Not. Everyone's like, no. Johnny. But really? And but he's like, Johnny. No, it really happened, though. And you're like, no, it didn't. But that was just it for Marshall. He couldn't believe it. He was beyond heartbroken. I Obviously. would be too. How long had he been with Johnny at this point? Like T- over twenty years. Yeah, twenty, twenty-five years maybe. I don't even know. But that's, that's the thing. Like Johnny Cash was so polarizing. Aww. He could be yeah. fucking yeah. awesome person and civil rights activist and. Like all a down around to earth great guy. guy and down to earth and like super sweet and whatever. And then on the other hand, he's a fucking dick. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's been a rough month for me. <laughs> Pisces <laughs> my ass. He was a Gemini, wasn't he? Ooh, shade to the Geminis. Looking at you, Geminis. I said it. I don't know any Geminis, I don't think. I don't we must know Geminis. Shout out if you're a Gemini. Come for us if you're a Gemini. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Maybe if things had ended more amicably between them, he would have let go of the fact that Johnny embezzled a portion of his and Luther's retirement funds. Oh, so Johnny was the one who stole the fucking money. <laughs> oh, that's a <laughs> pathetic cover up. But the wound cut too deep, so he sued his former boss and friend, as did Luther's children when they found out. So it all got settled out in court and he did get a... Some of money, as did Luther's family. Like, they got a little less, but they got money, and then that was it. They just didn't talk. But even family was subject to Johnny's insane outbursts after an epic fight with June. Because at this point, again, remember, John's being on his pills. He's definitely being unfaithful. June's losing it. He's being an all-around piece of shit. The same way Vivian did. So people gave Vivian so much shit, but... Shit, man, if your boy is cheating on you and high on drugs, you're going to get upset. So they got into fights a lot Mm -hmm. in this period. And they had an epic fight. So Johnny decides he's going to go into his sister's hotel room. And he fired the entire Carter family from their tour. So no longer would the Carters tour with Johnny and his band. It was just going to be Johnny. What a vindictive piece of shit. And June was so shell-shocked, but at the same time, she was incapable of leaving Johnny's side, so she continued on the tour with him. She was allowed to stay, but her family had to go. Well, that doesn't make any sense. He's... Amphetamines are a hell of a drug! (laughs) And the hilarious thing is that he does all of this, like, ridiculous spur-of-the-moment shit when he's high and crazy, and then the next morning he'll wake up. And be like, oh shit, I did all of these ridiculous things. Yeah. But he still stays committed to all of the bullshit decisions he made while high on drugs. Because what he does, and it's the same thing with pretty much every drug addict, is you wake up a little sober, remember what you did, immediately get high again because you feel so bad and you can't live with it. So then you go back to high Johnny, all those decisions you made when you were high Johnny yesterday. They're still there. They're great decisions. Yeah. They aren't bad. Best decisions. Super decisions, making decisions great again. (laughs) What's really sad, too, is June had developed a pill problem of her own, though she had kept it more in control than Johnny. Their relationship was an odd one, to say the least. Mm -hmm. They enabled the worst out of each other, but they also loved each other fiercer than anyone else could. Yeah, Johnny cheated on her, but 
you could tell when they were together, they had this chemistry and this love that nobody else could have for the other. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was weird. In the early 80s, after a massive fight, which John Carter Cash was convinced they were going to get a divorce, they open up the door to Johnny's, to John Cash, John Carter Cash's room and tell him, we're going to renew our wedding vows. <laughs> so it was really hard to tell just which way the wind would blow with them. Yeah, that was just how it was. You know what? I would be exhausted if I were in their inner circle. I would be one of those people that's like, you know what? Wish you the best. Love you both. Leave me the fuck alone. Bye. I'm sure anyone to leave that was probably happy to walk away. Like, I will follow y'all on Facebook. (laughs) That's as far as I'm going. I'm following you on Instagram. I'm not even going to be your Facebook friend. (laughs) I can't even be your Facebook friend. You know what? I will be friends with you on Facebook, but I cannot follow you on Facebook. Yes. I was just what I'm curious. I will look you up. Yes. Every once in a while when I want to, like, hate love you. Yes. I will look at your shit. Yes. And then criticize you and be like, that's good. Closing this book. Yep. Done. I don't need to read anymore tonight. Thank you. Yeah. Actually, when I read about John Carter Cash's childhood, did you ever see Mommy Dearest? Yes. Do you remember the No More Wire Hangers scene? More Wire Hangers! Everybody quotes that scene, but my favorite part of that scene was after it's all said and done and like she loses her mind, Mm -hmm. she throws everything, she throws the baby powder all Mm -hmm. over the bathroom. And so... I can't remember his name. The girl who had to clean it, the little girl, cleaning mm-hmm. it up. And her brother comes to help her. She's like, no, 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 go to bed. Like, you're going to get in trouble if you help me. And she's just cleaning. And she stops. And she just sits and goes, Jesus Christ. And I think it's just the most perfect sentiment anyone's ever expressed. And I'm like, that must have been John Carter Cash when they opened the door and say, we're renewing our wedding vest. He must be like, Jesus Christ! What is my life? It's He's like, like a ten-year-old just dealing with this banana boat family. <laughs> banana boat. Well, with this, oh, shit, Miss Mary. Shit, shit. <laughs> well, fortunately, Johnny decided to kick his habit again in the early '80s, and he went to the Betty Ford Center with top-notch medical help, and he got clean again. Good. For now. Betty Ford has helped many a drug-addicted musician. But she has, though. No matter what state he was in, the music was still not coming to Johnny. And Willie Nelson himself once said, Sometimes the stories just dry out and you just need to wait some time for the well to fill back up. I'm paraphrasing here, but in one of the documentaries he said that, and I thought that was very poignant. But it didn't stop him from trying, though also growing frustrated with Columbia, thinking they weren't helping him put out better material thinking they weren't giving him better producers, better songwriters, this type well, of thing. Well, if you don't have any music to make, then why would they? Well, you're going in, you're making music, and you're supposed to have somebody there to help you sound better. But I guess you're also supposed... They're kind of supposed to provide you... With the tools you need to... And just with people to help collaborate with you and to help get the, the wheel rolling. Yeah. And if you want to make an album and you're like, yo record company help me out they should be helping you out johnny went through a ton of different producers and just music makers to help him but i couldn't go into that because we'd be here for days yeah days you know what though columbia was getting equally frustrated with johnny 
from tepid record releases to straight-up flops, like The Chicken in Black, an obvious self-parody about switching brains with a chicken. What? Yeah. Both parties were at their, the end of their ropes, and they parted ways in 1985. And though Johnny would do a few more non-solo projects with Columbia, it was only up until 1990. Mm-hmm. But he was done with them. Even though he was dealing with a string of failures for about a decade in 1980, rewinding a little bit, Cash did become the youngest inductee to the Country Music Hall of Fame at age 48. Huh. Yeah. So that's nice for him. Throughout Johnny's entire career, he worked with a wide array of musicians. He was inspired by those who came before him and after him. For reals. I can do an entire episode on his collaborations, and I probably should, Mm -hmm. but right now I'm just going to briefly touch on some of the real cornerstones here. Obviously, during his time at Sun Records, at the very beginning, he would work and tour with the likes of Elvis, Roy Orbison, Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins, a bunch of others. There was the time that there was the Million Dollar Quartet session that consisted of Cash, Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Carl Perkins, and they were just jamming away, and somebody decided to record it. So that was a big deal. And then Johnny Cash had been known to collaborate with a number of equally influential musicians, one of them being Bob Dylan. Dylan admired Cash, and that admiration was equally met as Johnny was very impressed with Dylan's storytelling skills. Wouldn't um, Johnny and June cover Bob Dylan songs yep. a lot? and Dylan would cover some of Johnny's songs. Um, they were actually pretty decent friends. Um, what was... June always covered a song... Uh, was it the wild, wild something flower? It ain't me, babe. It ain't me, it ain't babe. me babe. Yeah, that's a Bob Dylan song. Mm-hmm. But they were good friends and worked with each other a lot. In the 90s, Johnny ended up doing some work with U2 after they met up in a concert in Dublin. Both Johnny and Bono held strong religious beliefs that they bonded over and created music with. Oh, yay. But one of his most impressive group efforts had to be the Highwaymen, a supergroup consisting of himself, Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, and Chris Christopherson. Because if you can't beat them, join them. I kind of feel like it's... Imagine if they went on tour with the Traveling Woolberries. That'd be fun. It's like... That would be so many of these great American country and rock musicians together. What I think sucks is it was during the 80s and 90s when no one gave a shit. And there would be some people who would think, well, can't they just sell out on their own? If they can't, they must all be wash-ups. No. Yeah, people are dumb. But, like, <laughs> I supported the Traveling Wilbury. I know. <laughs> Great. I know. I mean, I don't disagree with you. But, they, you know, these supergroups were during a time where I think people didn't appreciate supergroups. Yeah, The way we should have. Yeah. Because now they're all dead. They're not okay, they're not all, all dead. dead, but a lot of them are. They're just mostly dead. Oh, sad. Throughout their years of working together, on and off from 1985 through 1995, the Highwaymen would create three successful albums and do just like a couple tours here and there. Mm-hmm. So they did do some work together and they did create buzz. It's, that's unfair to say that people didn't appreciate them. People did, but I think that they're more appreciated now that it can't happen. Yeah. Because that's how that goes. Well, aside from his work with the Highwaymen, Johnny carried on with Mercury Records for more solo material back in the late 80s, early 90s. However, that didn't really produce any hits for him either. And to top it all off, Johnny's health was going downhill fast. 
like I said, amphetamines are a hell of a drug. Yeah, they catch up with you, don't they? And they really caught up with him. He is so lucky he never got meth mouth because I can imagine all of the the barbiturates and all of the uh, amphetamines, amphetamines and stuff. Probably- Does that cause meth mouth? Well, methamphetamines calls calls meth mouth. So I would imagine. My God. So I would imagine amphetamines would cause meth mouth. Well, he had a lot of dental problems. There you go. He definitely had dental problems. He could problems. afford top-notch dentures, though, I'm sure. Oh, I mean. Top-notch think- <laughs> dentures. <laughs> Gold star dentures. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He probably would not have lived as long as he did if he wasn't fucking loaded. Oh, absolutely. No. And also, I mentioned the dental problems and his body's just aging and all of this stuff. Well, turns out he started to have heart problems. Then, yeah. 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 In 1988, he had double pu- bypass surgery and inevitably it would once again relapse into his drug use. The pain was just too severe. He had... So much wrong with his body. The years of abuse abuse really destroyed his bone, bones and joints. I mean, if you spend a majority of your life with your heartbeat twice as fast as it's supposed to be beating. Quite frankly, the fact he was still alive is amazing. How did his brain just not just explode? Yeah, his brain just didn't just accept all of the his fact that no, you're going just, to die if you don't stop. How did he just like not take drugs and then just have all of his veins just explode all at once. I don't understand how that never happened in the how many years he was taking drugs. All the years? All in all Basically, the years. Basically once the late 50s ha- started all the years. Yeah, all the years. And it should come to no surprise to anyone that they're still massively in debt. That didn't go away. Right. Now that they're back now that his records were barely selling he was having trouble filling up stops on his tours, and that meant he would have to reduce himself to some drastic measures. That measure was Branson. It was similar to a Vegas residency, but smaller and sadder. Oh, and wait, it, but where? where? Branson, Missouri. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It came with its own mess of problems on top of the fact that it was already kind of a sad sack of a situation. The venue was supposed to be named after Johnny, but after a slew of problems and bankruptcy and all this shit, not on Johnny's part, but on the venue's part, they ended up calling it the Wayne Newton Theater, where the namesake would hold his residency and Johnny would still perform, but not in the Johnny Cash Theater. And by the early 90s, Johnny Cash would be a footnote on this venue, performing to small crowds around 300. And this is after years of performing to thousands or more. So he figured and at this point, he's done. He's kind of an old He's older. Dude. He's having health problems. Nobody's caring about him. So Johnny's feeling really washed up. Johnny's feeling Aww, like my time's over. That makes my heart hurt. Yeah. I felt really bad for him. He just, he wasn't. Uh, mm, uh, well... There's good news. Yeah, I mean, he comes back. Spoilers. Everybody knows he comes back. What if they don't know? Well, they know now. All right. Well, they do know because enter a producer that we have mentioned on the show a few times. Our buddy, Rick Rubin. Oh, Rick Rubin? Our buddy, Rick Rubin. Oh, it's Rick Rubin time. It's, our pal- it's Rick. 
Sit down, kids, because it's Rick Rubin time. Thank you for finding the appropriate Rick Rubin song. He can make that into a hit somehow. He so will, there you go. I don't I don't I don't know what fucking deal with the devil he's made, but know. it's worked. Because he has had successes with the likes of the Beastie Boys, Public Enemy, well, so I on think, and so forth. I think the terms of the deal, he's probably gonna be dead in a couple years, so Ooh, that's unfortunate. Get him in while you can, Rick. Come right. On. Well, after all of this hot success he's been having by the early nineties, he was looking for a real challenge. And he saw Johnny Cash unlike any of his other acts. Because Johnny Cash is not an unknown like everybody else he's brought up. He's a legend. He's a legend, but he's a legend whose career needs a jump start. Mm -hmm. So, in lies the challenge. Johnny was apprehensive to work with Rick at first, but Ruben was pretty easygoing and he wasn't forceful. He just wanted to hang and meet with him. That's all. And he wanted Johnny to just sing songs he truly loved when they first got together you just sit around playing your guitar. I'm not going to record. I'm not going to do anything. Let's just sit around. We'll talk. You plan the songs you fucking love on your guitar. This is kind of like going back to Johnny's very first audition for Sun Records. It is exactly like that. And, and that's, he says like, it's reminiscent of that. Yeah. And it's just like, well, don't do the shit that you think you should be doing. Do the shit you want to do. Do what you want to do. Yeah. And that was great because it loosened Johnny right up and it got him to be a little bit more creative. It was kind of what he needed to break down those walls again. Yeah, don't be so fucking uptight about it. Just play what feels right to play. Just remember the music. And that's what Ruben was telling him to do. And he would also bring Johnny songs that kind of seemed out of his wheelhouse and see if he could just put a personal twist on them. Songs by artists like Nick Lowe or Danzig. He mm-hmm. would all put those on the album American Recordings in 1994 And it came out to critical success and Johnny truly began to feel relevant again. And I remember that, that, well, I don't remember, but I was reading about that that album came out and everybody was like, Johnny's back. And he he was. That album really brought him back to life. Yeah. And for the rest of Johnny's life, he would work with Ruben and with him released three more albums. All were well received. He found himself winning awards again. He got critical success. He got commercial success. He teamed up with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers to back him on some of the albums. He would cover more songs that he initially didn't think he could. Mm -hmm. And he ended up really reinventing himself, but still being himself, which was interesting. Yeah. Say what you will about Rick Rubin, but he fucking brought cash back to life. I mean, we can make fun of Rick Rubin and whatever, but... Because everyone can make fun of Rick Rubin. But I mean, the guy kind of knows what he's doing. Kind of knows kinda. what he's doing. He kind of knows what he's doing. He's a good bullshitter at the very least. <laughs> Late 90s, early 2000s, great times for Johnny in the sense that he's coming back musically. Health, not yeah. so much. Mm-hmm. In the late 90s, saw Johnny and June's health both declining rapidly with heart surgeries and many stints in and out of the hospital. Both were still committed to working and traveling and each other more than ever. And since the past really just seemed to melt away with time fleeting in the way that it was. Mm -hmm. They knew they didn't have a lot of time left, so they were doing as much as they could. June even put out an album. One of Rick Rubin's friends, whose name is escaping me right now, she worked with June to make an album. And so 
Johnny and June were kind of back at it. They were doing really well with their families. It's really kind of coming full circle at this point for Johnny. It's where you want to end up when you can see, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Yeah. Coming at you pretty rapidly. Yeah, pretty much. And for all of his flaws, and Johnny, even at this point, still kind of in and out of the drugs because... You know what? Fuck it. He's in his late 60s. Let him have the drugs. Yeah. (laughs) At this point, just let him fucking have them. He's earned it. Or at this point, he's not getting off them. But in 1977, Johnny was originally diagnosed with Parkinson's, then Shy-Drager syndrome, which is a form of multiple symptom atrophy, and he was only given less than two years to live. But even later then, he was re-diagnosed with autonomic neuropathy. Autonomic neuropathy? Sure. Mm-hmm. But I'd just be willing to say maybe he was in his late 60s and lived a damn hard life. Yeah. Everybody was so hell-bent on figuring out what was wrong with him. Guys, he should have been dead 10 years ago. <laughs> this is just everything catching up with him all at once. Seriously? You have hard-living musician disease is yeah. what you have. I've diagnosed you with hard-living musician's disease. It's, it's all critical. catching up to you. It's critical. Everything that you put off for the last 40 years is now catching up to you all at once. Yeah, that's kind of how that works. Yeah. And it's fine. But it's your life. And but it's fine. Just accept it. He lived long enough, though, to receive the release of American 4, which wasn't praised too much initially. Mm-hmm. Until Ruben made one of his friends at the station, K-Rock in L.A., Watch the music video for this song they did called Hurt. I don't know if you heard of it. Maybe. Hurt. It was originally by Nine Inch Nails. uh, I don't know if I've heard it. Yeah. I don't know if I've heard it 500,000 fucking times. (laughs) Uh. Well, don't worry, because then that made this album become everyone's sad time boner jam. Yep. Yep. Sad time boner jamboree. (laughs) Seriously. Hurt's a great song. It's fantastic, both by Nine Inch Nails and by Johnny. But when you're at the museum <laughs> and you go to the very end of it. You no. You don't know. Not even the very end of it. Well, you're in that end section. You go anywhere in the vicinity of the end of the Johnny Cash Museum. You fucking hear Hurt. Over. On repeat. And over. And, and over. over. And over and because over. they display the chair he sat in. And you can't get away from it. You can't. And honestly, you just want to ju- find a cliff and yeah. jump off of it. Yeah. Because not only is it the saddest song in the fucking world, yeah. but you've also heard it literally a million times. Yeah. And you can't anymore. And you just, all you want to do is read all the interesting artifacts and you can't because you're too busy looking for your razor so you can go down the street instead of across the street. And then all you hear is, I will make you hurt. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, and you're like, no, oh, not God. again. Not again. Why? I'm Why? sorry. <laughs> again, it's a great song, but. But I never have to hear it again, ever. Yeah, in my entire life. Thanks, Johnny Cash Museum. (laughs) I never need to hear this song ever. You don't. It was. I will give it some credit too because it was interesting how they ended up filming it. The initial video director was going to do a completely different concept, but by the time he was going to get to it, Johnny was way too sick. Yeah. So we had to go to Johnny's place and use Johnny's location to film. 
and all the dilapidated parts was just a part of the museum where there was just, there happened to be a lot of rain or something. So the roof caved in just a little bit and just this one room. Hmm. So while it makes it look like their house is dilapidated, it's not at all. (laughs) And he wasn't initially going to put June in it, but what happened was he saw June standing while they were between takes and she's just standing looking at Johnny at the top of the stairs. And at this point, June knew she was going and she knew she was going to go before Johnny. And what was kind of heartbreaking about that was the fact that everyone said, no, Johnny's going to go first because yeah, June can live without Johnny. Johnny can't live without June. Yeah. And I'm, Johnny lived way harder than June. Yeah. And she was looking at him and was like, nah, I know I'm going first. So he saw her just looking like that. So he said, can I just film you like that for a second and put it in the video? And because they had the museum next door, they used that as an opportunity to take some of those clips and throw that in the video as well. Mm -hmm. So quite frankly, that video was an accident hodgepodge. Yeah. But at the same time, that's what makes it so unrelentingly depressing. Yeah. You, You watch that when you're at the end of your fucking rope. Yeah. I already, like, save hurt for days when I'm at the end of my rope. You really, you really drove that home, didn't you, like, Johnny? that and fucking the cover of Mad World. I I just, you know what? I don't like it. I liked it I until, know. again, I heard it a million times and now I'm over it. In case you were worried, in his Twilight years, Johnny did make amends with pretty much everyone. His children, his other family members... His old bandmates like Marshall and even Vivian. That's good. She wanted to write a book and use, obviously, their old love letters. And she went to him and asked him for permission. He said, that's fine. You know, you kind of got the raw end of the deal with me. And they just said, you know what? Shit shook out weird with us, but we're fine. Well, I hope that Vivian ended up, you know, doing think, go- doing good for herself. Yeah, I, she, she divorced. got married again, but then divorced. And I, I don't think she got married a third time, but she she loved her daughters. She don't need a man. She's an she independent woman. Mm-hmm. She really is, though. <laughs> like, legit. <laughs> for uh, real, though. <laughs> she, you know, I think Vivian ended up living a good life and being happy. Good. On May 15th, 2003, at the age of 73, June Carter Cash passed away from complications after heart surgery. Johnny held on for four more months, but on September 12th, 2003, at the age of 71, Johnny Cash passed away due to complications from diabetes. At least that was the official. Hmm. Some say he died of a broken heart, but others say music was what he truly lived for and had more to do. After June's death, Johnny worked on a few more songs until he was no longer capable of doing so contributing some work to his son's album as well as his own American Five that would come out posthumously. Posthumously? Posthumously? Posthumously. There you go. Oh my god, is that right? Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> Figured it out. I did it. It Next seems on figure it out. <laughs> posthumously. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, you can make fun of me for saying it wrong once and twice, but three times I got it right, lady. <laughs> But here's the thing. It just seems to me that he was tied up with a few last strings to take care of. Yeah. He wanted to do a few more songs, make sure his legacy was solidified. And then he just, he went when he knew it was time to go. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think Johnny did what he needed to do and was like, all right, I'm ready to go join, join June now. And I that's think what he did. I'm sure he probably would have rather have gone before her. But, oh, yeah. Um, You know, you can't. You, you, you can't, can't always get what you want. You, you can't. But if you try sometimes, 
You just might stop. find. Stop. Stop. Get what you need. Fuck off. Stop it. <laughs> All right. So now I've gotten to the end of Johnny's story. And you brought this up earlier. I thought it was funny that you brought this up earlier. Because I can't help feeling really polarized going through his story now. You know, some of the things he did in his life were downright despicable. Yeah. But the art and the movements and the causes and all these things that he brought with him have changed the course of history. And mostly for good, I would say. Mm -hmm. I don't think as far as what he gave out into the world, it was good. He just was a really tortured, damaged person. (laughs) And didn't help himself to get out of that. Yeah. But at the same time, kind of feel like sometimes people need to be tortured in order to be creative. Exactly. You know, I don't know if everybody else hearing this story feels the same way about him, but some may brush it off and just say, like, it doesn't matter because he wrote amazing music. And some even gloss it up. And say that he was just a victim of an unjust system and that he had a lot of negative people in his life. Oh, this white dude with Mm -hmm. a lot of money is a victim of the system? Yeah. Whatever. But you know what? Johnny wouldn't even take that shit. He has admitted that his mistakes are his own and no one else should carry that burden. So good on him for that. Mm -hmm. But really, like you said, how else are you going to understand and appreciate his music if you don't know where it's coming from? Mm Mm-hmm. And knowing that he had this really tough life makes his music that much more accessible to people. It makes it, it gives it a level of understanding that you normally wouldn't from somebody who was raised in a more affluent culture, I guess. Yeah. You know, he really, he did grow up a hard childhood. He lost a sibling at a young age. He had crazy problems with his dad. Yeah. Uh, he was in the military. He did do, he did he do had and see a lot. a drug problem for most of his life. You know, granted that was his own doing, but it's still. It was a weird time. Yeah. Because it, it made life really hard. When I think about his pill problem too, you know, I think it's unrealistic to paint Johnny as the saint overall. A yeah, lot of no, people will no. do that. No, 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 no. I don't think he would even want people to do that. Right. But my big thing is, I think it's not good to do that because his tale would hit home to so many people. Right. There are so many people with drug problems, especially right now with our opioid crisis. And it can give people hope that if they relapse, that doesn't make them a bad person. That doesn't mean they have to give up. It just means you have a serious problem with no simple solution. And... Maybe it also keeps our empathy strong when we have to deal with them. I mean, it's just like my caffeine problem. (laughs) I don't know if you get to relate that (laughs) to an amphetamine problem. No. (laughs) But every day you say, I'm going to stop this cycle. (laughs) I say as I'm drinking a beer (laughs) that I arguably probably don't need. But every day you're like, no, this has to stop today. But just give me this one last coffee. Yeah. So I can imagine with a legit I drug just need problem. This what one do you last, th- Oh my god. I just need this last venti americano. I <laughs> just one more. Just one more venti americano. I can't Sorry. even imagine having a legitimate drug problem that's ruining your life, that's making you disappoint and let down everyone in it, that's keeping yeah. you away from work and I mean and I like to drink, but I can manage it. Yeah. I'm not drinking before work. No. I'm not going to work drunk or anything like that. I can 
be sober and it's fine. Yeah. But like, I can't, I, I guess I'm one of the lucky people that can't imagine life with an addiction that bad. But like reading Johnny's story, it's one of those things that gives me a glimpse into like, my God, you're doing all this stuff. And you read this story and know, I don't think you're a bad person. Holy shit, these drugs must have a fucking hold on you. Right. Because, wow, the things you did are awful. And you probably wouldn't have done them if you weren't on drugs. Right. Yeah. It's it's crazy. But with all this said, Johnny deserves every bit of praise he gets. More so because he lived such a checkered life. He lived the life he sang. Mm-hmm. He didn't bullshit for anybody. And he never gave up on being a good person, on loving his family, or on his music career. He done fucked up sometimes. But he didn't stop. Right. And. Yes. He didn't stop fucking up? I meant like he didn't (laughs) stop trying to do the right. Even though he would fuck up, that didn't mean I'm going to stop because I fucked up. And it seems like he at least made amends with people before he kicked it. So. Yeah. At the very core, he's definitely a good person who just had really big flaws. And again, that's a story that can relate to a lot of people. And so I hope people can hear it. You know, if you've got a problem and you hear this story, just know you can always try again. Tomorrow is another day. Who knows? Maybe that's the day you go to a rehab clinic. Or who knows? Maybe that's the day you do something so awful, but then the day after that is when you just turn shit around. And relapsing isn't the end of it's not anything it no just, relapsing another, doesn't mean you can't shake it it's another opportunity to turn shit around yeah I mean, nobody's perfect again and that's i think that's really what to get out of this and fuck it man above all else i think just johnny and the life he lived is just you know it's admirable the way he just did what he had to do mm-hmm. despite his flaws and also he was making music literally an like until his last breath. Legit. Yeah. And still managed to put out an album even after he died. Yeah. So right down to the last minute he was doing what he loved. Yeah. Again, he earns he has earned every bit of praise he gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think I've come full circle to loving Johnny Cash, feeling torn about Johnny Cash, and loving Johnny Cash again. This is kind of like my existential crisis over David Lee Roth. Ooh. However, I don't think David Lee Roth is a good person. <laughs> I think he's probably okay. Uh, I wouldn't want to hang out with I him. I would not compare him to Johnny Cash. No. On any level. No. 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 But try counts. Well, cheers to you, Johnny Cash. <laughs> Fucking kudos. Proud of you. Proud of you. Thanks, sir. Anyway. For the memories. That's it. Actually, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it'd be. I thought we'd be here for three hours. Not gonna lie. We really fucking cowboyed through it. I'm sure we skipped a lot. We probably skipped a lot, and we can always come back. There's so much. We can revisit anything. Like I said, I'm gonna list everything I use for reference in these show notes. Please look them up. They are very good. (laughs) If you're in Nashville, go to the museum. It's fun. It's exciting. It's a good time. I'll stay away from the hurt area. Yeah. For more than a minute. Yeah. (laughs) Also go to the Patsy Cline Museum. We didn't get a chance to go to that. We missed that. But there's always next year. Anyway, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. Hope you learned a lot. Or, you know, learned about drug problems. (laughs) 
<laughs> if you like what you're hearing and you want to, you know, give us a little boost, leave us a review or some ratings on the iTunes. We'd appreciate it because that gets us more exposure into the world. And we'd like that. That would be cool. It's and, terrifying, but we like it. Yeah. I don't know. It's all right. It's, it's okay. And if you want to follow us on social media, we have Twitter at Rock Candy Pod and Instagram and Facebook at Rock Candy Podcast. And you can always just visit our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com. Don't forget, for the rest of the month, we are taking suggestions for episodes for November. Yeah. We've been getting a couple. We don't mean getting we don't mind getting some more. We want we like a nice smorgasbord to really like soak up. We need enough to put them all in a hat. Oh my god. And pick them out. Oh my god, hat picks. Hat picks. That's gonna be that's gonna be that's, crazy pants. That's terrifying. Because I'm not gonna lie, some of the things people brought up, I'm like, I don't know what that is. That doesn't mean I don't want to cover it. I'm just like, I don't know what that is, and I might fuck it up. Oh, there's plenty where I've been like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh no! Okay, I'm not doing that. I'll do anything, but I might fuck it up. And I, and I I'm might sorry. do anything, but I probably won't do that. <laughs> Are you just meatloafing now? I'm highly indecisive meatloaf. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. I would do most things for love, but probably not that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm like, meatloaf two out of three ain't bad meatloaf. <laughs> Try and count meatloaf. <laughs> I'm bad out of purgatory meatloaf. Yeah, that's it. In the middle somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like, you know. Not quite hell, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Purgatory is good. Purgatory is good. (laughs) Nice. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening again. Tune in next week for more radical stories, because that's what we do. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. With that, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye. It's math. Is it magic? It's math. Maybe Maybe she's she's born with it. Maybe it's methamphetamine. (laughs) 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 Good night, everybody. Oh, boy. Can you keep that in there?